Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing Hilary Lefwich. She is the founder and owner of Alchemy Author Services and Writing Workshop and Community Coven, a community-based workshop. She lives in Denver, where she hosts and organizes At the Inkwell Denver, a literary reading series focusing on providing a liberated space for writers. She focuses her writing on class struggle, single motherhood, trauma, mental illness, and the supernatural. I hope you dig this very lit episode, and if you do, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and or review, or just hit me up on Twitter. Who knows? Stick around to hear her read from her latest book, Aura, from Future Tense Books. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm Hilary Leftwich. I'm an author and um, teacher and editor uh, living in Denver, Colorado. I teach at a local nonprofit here called Lighthouse Writers. Um, I also teach creative writing at the University of Denver, and I'm a visiting uh, professor at Colorado College. Um, I also own my own editing business called Alchemy Author Services and Writing Workshop, um, where I also teach and um, get other authors in to teach uh, writing workshops. Wow, how do you have the time to even speak to me right now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the one thing the pandemic taught me was uh, good time management. It was kind of a a shit show at first, but um, you know, it took me a (laughs) yeah it (laughs) it took me a few years to get it down, and um, you know, so it it was all a a, I'm still learning. It's a learned experience. So, well, I mean. That definitely sounds like you've got it down. I mean, you have a new book that's out. Um, Want to tell me a bit about it? Yes. So, Aura is a memoir. Um, it's my first memoir. I didn't expect to write a memoir at all. Um, Especially at such a young age. Yeah. Well, you know, it started out as a poetry collection. And um, someone recommended... Uh, maybe try writing it as memoir and I sat on that for a few years and I just kind of gave up on it Um, this was another publisher that I had submitted it to um, as a poetry manuscript and um, they were wonderful and they said you know try it as a memoir and and I I was like no (laughs) sat on that for years and then I picked it back up again and just started working on it and was lucky enough to have Future Tense Books um, accept it for publication. And Kevin Sampsell, um, the owner and editor of Future Tense, you know, he had me go through and just, he's like, you really need to write about your childhood because originally it didn't contain um, any, any backstories about my childhood or anything. And he's like, you know, you really have to write about your childhood. And I was very resistant to it because my childhood just feels very dirty and gritty and you know very vulnerable I suppose all the things a memoir should have but Mm -hmm. you know writing memoir is just a very um it's an open wound act you're you're just severing yourself open and it's it's very I'm very resistant to that um as far as memoir 
goes. And so it turned out to be much longer than we anticipated. But, um, you know, I think, I think in a lot of ways writing it was very cathartic and very traumatizing. I actually had to go back into therapy, um, no joke. So, um, but I'm glad I wrote it and I'm glad it's out in the world. So I can't, I can't be ashamed of that. I could definitely sense the vulnerability with the the chapter names and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, how purposeful was that? Like the spell for your childhood and stuff like that? A spell to protect your childhood? I'm looking through it right now. Or Dear Lord, Save This Girl. I like the Mean Girls chapter. <laughs> I wanted to give the titles like a bit of a, a sneak peek into, into what, what each chapter was going to be about. Plus, I just love having fun with with naming you know the the chapter titles and and I wanted to have a little bit of fun with it so um that that was me trying to have fun and take some of the seriousness out of it so so it's like the teaser trailer for little, each chapter yeah a little bit you could say that I mean I like because like some of the chapters they do get a little rough but like you never seem to have an issue with the titles like the titles always like get you a little bit more like intrigued and you feel like it could be lighthearted or at least you're a little bit more open about it. Right. Yeah, like uh like what you call it and stuff. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to name that that chapter. Um so oh, I you ch- picked it perfectly. <laughs> I just felt like it kind of embodied everything that was going on in that specific scene. Um, you know, just the dumbfoundedness of that poor Walgreens clerk and talking about, you know, candy from my childhood as a, as a, as a point of comfort in that really terrifying moment. Um, I think it just embodied that whole scene really well. So when it came to the book, um, did you approach Kevin first or? As far as submitting it originally? Yeah. Yes. So he, um, the thing with Future Tense is he only publishes a certain amount of books a year. Um, This year he happened to be publishing a lot more going into 2023. So he took a lot more manuscripts, I guess, than historically speaking he has in the past. So. Um, he opened up his his submission period, and only for a short period of time. And I had, you know, what I thought was a good solid uh, draft of a manuscript to submit. Obviously, obviously, I'd submitted it to other presses as well. Um, and the funny thing was, is he he wound up messaging me on Facebook. And he's like, hey, did you get my email? And I was like, no. And I guess <laughs> this was oh, weeks after he had emailed me and had oh, accepted it. Spam email? <laughs> yeah, and it, I don't know why it went to spam, but it did. And um, had he not messaged me on Facebook and just maybe just assumed I wasn't interested, it never would have happened. <laughs> so I'm glad he followed up. Um, but yeah, he only took a certain amount of manuscripts during that very small window, um, and I was lucky to be one of them. So, Yeah, I really love Kevin. He was actually the person I interviewed right before you. I inter- inter- uh, interviewed him last mm-hmm. week. Nice. Um, I wanted to know how much did he have a say in with the cover, because I know he's a collagist, mm-hmm. and obviously your cover is a cover collage by Sarah Best. Yes, it was his idea. He actually sent me a text message um, with a photo, and we both knew instantly that was it. There was there was no, you know, oh well, maybe we should cut this out of it, or it was just an immediate 
like both of us were just on the same page. So that was that was a very easy one. And I got very lucky with this cover. And I'm so grateful to Sarah Best. It's it's an amazing cover. It definitely is. It definitely gives me this uh, El Dio de los Muertos kind of vibe. I, yes, it does. What kind of like feeling were you getting when you like had this cover shown to you? I think it really... It really does encompass a lot of the the themes throughout the memoir, which is obviously death, um, but a lot of rebirth as well. Um, there's a lot of esoteric symbols happening. We have the skull um, symbolizing death, which I I'm a professional tarot reader, so for me, the death card is always a really good card. Um, it's a it's a cycle. It's a cycling of everything negative getting cycled out and allowing yourself to, to have new opportunities. Um, you know, we have the snake in there. We have the spider, which I love. Um, the butterflies, obviously, rebirth, regeneration, um, all of it. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful cover, and it just really represents a lot of the the themes throughout the book. So, I, I just thought it was perfect. Now, I can't read it, and I've been trying to read it. In the top uh, center ring, there's uh, words in what looks to be like a ring. What does it say? I think that's in Latin. I'm not sure what it says. Um, Oh, you decided to take a wild swing then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Um, Usually with the esoteric symbols, it's it's something to do with uh, life or or power or something like that so I'm assuming that's what it is it's almost too small for me to read too but yeah um and yeah with the with those symbols up there I think it makes it even more unique so I I just think she really nailed every aspect to this um this artwork piece I mean this really is the kind of book where you put it on a bookshelf and like people will see it all the way across from a store and be like I wonder what that is so I hope so that's the hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely going to be in Powell's, so you know that. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, obviously, this being a music podcast, everyone takes it in a different way. Some people are like, oh, we're going to go very serious with this is the playlist that my mu- like book would have, or let's just go for it and talk about our weird music experiences. Mm-hmm. Let's go with playlist. What kind of playlist would Aura have? Well, for me, I feel... Um, Aura would have just because of the the you know the Mean Girls aspect in, in elementary school and junior high, um, there would be a lot of the <laughs> I would think like like the the early hits back in the late eighties uh, early eighties like Straight Up by Paula Abdul um, that was a huge one back then, um, and then there was like a lot of sexual revolution happening at the time. And this, this memoir does talk about sex and, and body power um, and womanhood a lot. So I think I Want Your Sex by George Michael is a really good one because that was one of the first really, um, really big videos on, on MTV back when they actually, believe it or not, MTV actually used to play music videos. Um, <laughs> but that was one of the first popular videos that really talked about sex in an in-your-face way and was not apologetic about it. And it, it caused a lot of controversy, even though now we would look at that and be like, what's the big deal? But it was a big deal. Um, so that song was huge. Um, 
And I just think a lot of, uh, you know, I actually listened to a lot of, and I talked about music in the book, but like Nina Simone, she's one of my favorite artists. Um, yeah, and just a lot of like sad songs, because there are a lot of sad moments in the book. Um, but also it talks a lot about class um, and patriarchy, a lot about that. And so I think like um, a lot of people may not remember this group, but uh, Living Color, uh, the song Cult of Personality specifically, um, that was really prevalent in the early 90s. Um, and they brought to light a lot of issues with capitalism and society, especially here in America. Um, and that really, that really, it, it put a spotlight on many of the obstacles as a kid that I faced, um, like just being poor and struggling. Um, and then with the junior high stuff, I would definitely have a little Tori Amos theme happening there for sure. Um, I mean, she pretty much embodied the whole <laughs> junior high section of the memoir 100%. Um, and it sounds almost cliche because I know a lot of people reference Tori Amos for that very same reason. But because I was attending a Christian, private Christian junior high, it was the epitome of Tori Amos um, music. Just, I felt like I was just lost in like little earthquakes specifically. Um, and then, you know, there was some of the harder sections um, the more darker sections as I talk about becoming an adult. And, uh, you know, I was listening, Gil Scott Heron comes, comes to mind um, just with, with the lyrics and the words and the music, just everything. Um, and then Otis Redding is one of my favorite artists as well. And I reference him, the song Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, which, you know, this book references a lot about water, and that is probably my favorite song ever. And so that actually got me through a lot of um, the harder times that I talk about in the book, is I can just put that song on and feel okay. It was very calming to me, and that water presence especially. Um, and then it, when, you know, talking about the domestic violence, um, Florence and the Machine a lot, um, especially dealing with, with talking about the ocean and not being able to move to Seattle. And she sings a lot about the water and um, those kind of songs and, and relationships. So, um, And then there's always Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's just a lot, a, a very long time span of music that, that can be felt um, in the memoir. I was going to say, I mean, it being a memoir, that's why I was very excited to ask you about that because it's almost like your stages of life and how you grew with music. Exactly. There was a lot. There was a, it, and it's funny because I think every generation goes through this, especially now that we are going through an extremely, extremely hard time. But, you know, when I was a kid back then, there was a lot of stuff going on too. Um, especially growing up in Colorado Springs, which is the epicenter of Focus on the Family and James Dobson. And I grew up, you know, as a teenager going to high school, having pulling up to the driveway of my high school into the parking lot. And Focus on the Family was out there with giant 
pictures of aborted fetuses, you know, trying to mm-hmm. shock scaras into not getting, you know, any abortions or anything like that. And they were on public property. They knew what they were doing. Um, so, you know, the soundtracks here, I talk about the music in there, and I try and d- dig a little bit into some of the more prevalent uh part of some of these art artists and um, bands like Nirvana. When I was in high school, Nirvana was huge. Um, and tying this in with abortion rights, you know, there was this scare that I was pregnant at the time and my, my boyfriend at the time was threatening to, you know, toss me down the stairs and kick me in the stomach if I ever wound up pregnant. So I reference the song Penny Royalty and talk about, you know, herbal um, abortion how throughout history there were herbs and there still are herbs you can take for that. So I always try and tie it in the music with, with the importance behind the big factors and, and things that were affecting, um, you know, my world as a teenager at that time, growing up in a extremist Christian town and it, and it still is, it's probably actually gotten a little bit worse. So yeah, very likely, very likely. <laughs> I do like though that you actually like, go for the deeper meaning behind a song. So many people don't do that, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. So given your like really big love of water, where did that come from being in Colorado? That's a really good question that nobody's asked me yet, and I'm actually surprised. Um, I, I don't know. I, I remember spending time in Florida as a child. Um, different ocean, of course, but... Uh, and just being fascinated by the water. And maybe it's just because there's, there's, we don't have that here in Colorado. Obviously we have the forest, um, and the mountains, which are beautiful, but there was always something about the ocean that fascinated me. And I don't know why I got hooked on Seattle. Um, you know, Washington state is, is it for me? Like that's, that's the one state I just, I adore. And I had never been there. I went there for the first time ever um, last year. Um, and I was just hooked immediately. And that's where I want to be. I, I don't know how realistic that is. But it just, there was there's something about the Pacific Ocean. And I know other people have talked about this. That's just really magical and powerful. And it's it's a different feeling than other oceans. It's not calming it's not serene or or even pretty it's violent and cold and it's just really powerful and i think it represents a lot of the themes in this memoir and all of the things that i was going through um throughout throughout what i reference in the memoir too um i've never been in it i i have and and you get that physical feeling then too right Absolutely. And, you know, if we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this, um, no pun, intended. no pun intended. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm an earth sign. I'm a fixed sign. And so I don't really know. I should be all about earth and I am. Oh, wait, what is your sign? I'm a Taurus. Oh, I'm a Virgo. Yeah. So, you know, I don't really know where this fascination with water comes from, but my son's I'm a- obsessed with it too. I also would like to move to Seattle. So oh, see, there you go. <laughs> Well, my son's a Pisces, and you cannot get that kid out of water, even as a baby. I took him to swimming lessons as a baby baby, like, and he knew immediately 
what to do. Babies always do in water. They're tied to water. Um, so I don't know. There's a theme for sure. I just, I love it. And I hope to go back to Washington State soon. Um, AWP in yes. March is going to be held in Seattle. I am hoping to go and, you, you can know. meet us there. Yeah. I would love that. I would, I am really hoping I can make that happen this time for sure. See, I've never gone to it. I run a publishing house, Maldon House. I don't know. Yes. Whenever people talk to me, I don't know how much they know about me. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, but, yeah. I was going to go in 2020, but I had COVID, so oh. it would have been a bad situation. Yeah. But, yes. yeah, we definitely have us and all of our authors, basically, like, we're going to show up to this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last one I was at was the one here in Denver, and that was a very, very long time ago, but I wasn't even in the writing world at that time. I was with my boyfriend who was, and I had no idea what AWP was. Um, so oh, yeah. I haven't even actually officially done an AWP ever. So I, w- I hope that I can, I can make the next one for sure, especially considering where it's being held at. Honestly, for us, or for me and my fiance, it's really just an excuse to go to Seattle. Right. <laughs> That too. <laughs> I love that you picked out um, Otis Redding's song "Sitting by the Dock of the Bay," or "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay." That was actually the first time I actually saw the ocean. I was listening to that song. Really? And yeah, I was actually sitting where he was sitting when he wrote that song. Oh. It was the first time I saw it. Wow, that's amazing. So I was wondering what your connection to that song was at all, because like I don't know. I remember thinking. I don't know if you know, he died before mm-hmm. it actually made it to the radio. I did know that. I actually um, referenced that in, in a chapter um, where I'm talking about that song and how he actually, he died um, before they they had put that song out. And, and people are actually shocked at how young he was when he passed away because he was so successful. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think I was a very young child when I first heard that song and I don't know if it was I don't know where I heard it originally I just remember it stuck in my head and I I wanted to hear it all the time after that all of the time and I think I had a I definitely was drawn to more darker sad music as a child um and that definitely is a a darker sad song in a lot of ways but also not um and I just, I always created this little story in my head whenever I listened to it. I could see him walking to the end of this dock and sitting on this chair and just staring out into the water. And so it always used to calm me, and it still does. So I don't know, I just really connected with that song. And, and Otis writing, I wanted to listen to everything he ever sang after that. And I just kind of dove down a rabbit hole studying him. So, yeah. The sign about his voice is so comforting. Yes, absolutely, and and you know him dying so young. I mean, I just imagine of all of the things he could have done had he not died in that plane crash. You know, so we just have to really treasure what he did while he was alive. Mm-hmm. So, who would you say is your favorite musician currently? Oh, geez, that's a see, tough one. That's the curveball. That see, you had to do that. Oh, I have more that I can throw at you right now. <laughs> I'm sure that you do. Um, 
I'm just going to be a total geek and nerd right now and say... Welcome to the club. <laughs> I, I'm really influenced by what my, my partner and my son listen to. And so I'll reference a few. So my partner, um, he's really into this um, Filipino rap artist named Bamboo. And what's interesting about this artist is he's he grew up in L.A. Um, he's Filipino, and he raps about you know his life being a Filipino in all these gangs. And he actually got out of those gangs, by the way. He made it, um, and he has a family. But he talks about you know the street life, and from the point of view of a Filipino. Um, and so I I find him really fascinating, and I do I his music's incredible um the other this is more of a general thing but my son's really into anime and he listens to all these japanese pop groups and i think one of them is called alexandros and it's like you know what you'd think that was greek but it's it's not it's this japanese band and at least I think they are. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But as far as I know, um, but yeah, he he got me into you know we would I would drive him to school and he would be like, Mom, can I play my music? I'd be like, Yeah, sure. And he, I mean, it took months, but I finally succumbed to actually kind of liking it after a while. <laughs> and just the whole Japanese lounge singer bands; these are singers from way back in like the '50s, and they would do these these incredible female lounge singers just gorgeous voices it's a very unique sound so you know i just try and keep an open mind um and whatever they're listening to typically i'm interested in getting to know a little bit better and are you listening to this just kind of like they're playing it and you're just overhearing it or at first yeah but then if my son's in the car and he'll be like hey can i put this on i'll be like hey can you play you know that that one band and oh i can't remember oh, the name the cool mom who yeah. the kid run the radio <laughs> i try to be you know i do um not you, going mean girls but it's like i'm not a regular mom i'm a cool mom <laughs> you know and i do the same with my partner i try and i have a spotify list that i know he likes um that we both enjoy too but he he's he really dives deep into the the music scene um and he's actually going to be featured in one of a, a music anthology talking about... I'm not going to give too much of it away. Anyway, he wrote an <laughs> incredible essay specifically about one specific rap artist. And so he really... I just really appreciate um, his knowledge of it. And there's a... I'm going to give a shout out to... Um, it's called the Boom Bap Review. The Boom Bap Review. And there's three volumes out... Um, and it, it's got essays and all kinds of things about music and rap artists. And it's done by MC Till and Everybody's Hip Hop. So I really recommend if, you're, if you want to read essays and everything like that about different um, music artists in the rap scene, that's an amazing one. And Stephen Dunn referred that to me, and that's how I got on it. So little shout out. I dig it. I dig it. See, it's interesting. I was expecting your taste to be a little bit okay to make it a better way witchy mm -hmm. like some stevie nicks thrown in there maybe 
No? Oh, no. I love Stevie Nicks. Don't get me wrong. Um, for sure. Love Stevie Nicks. Love Fleetwood Mac. Um, all of those singers. PJ Harvey. I mean... Yeah, was expecting that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's just it, right? Like, uh, I, I wanted, you know, and I really try and not not be, not succumb to the cliches, because I really do listen to a really, really wide variety of music, um, you know, and I do. I have a lot of influence from my partner and my son and just, you know, me exploring things and having an open mind, really. But yeah, I love me some Stevie Nicks, for sure. Hell yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I think it's fun. You're one of those people where like you usually probably annoy people when they're like, what kind of music do you like? And you're like, I like everything. And but it's you true. Genuinely do. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do a little game called overrated and underrated. And okay. you're going to let me know if whatever I say is overrated and underrated and why. Oh, okay. Records. Underrated. Because... They produce the most beautiful sound. See, totally agree with you there. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift. I am walking a very fine line. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to be very careful in my response. (laughs) So I, you know... um, Don't you love whenever you say Taylor Swift, someone feels like they have to like really over explain it? (laughs) But it's true. And I'm going to say she is underrated. And I will tell you why from my perspective. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan uh, myself. Uh, I I don't think it's not that I don't think she's amazing or anything. And I will explain why I think she's amazing. But I am not a fan. I don't really listen to her music. But when she won that award, I apologize. I don't remember which award. Um... And she got that moment stolen from her, you know. That oh, the was great Kanye moment. Yeah, that was that that was wrong. And I like Kanye's music. I don't necessarily like him as a human, but I like Kanye's music. But he shouldn't have stolen that moment from her. Um, and I think she handled herself with grace and dignity. And that's usually we think about somebody being much older that would have that reaction. But she's just very classy and and graceful, and she's very successful, and she's a good human, as far as I know. Um, I haven't really read anything that's come out about her that's been horrible. I think, as far as I know, she's a good human being. Um, And the other thing is, she's a female, and she's very, very driven and successful, and I like that about her. I don't, I don't know, I, you know, probably after this interview, I might go and listen to her a little bit more so I can ha- get a better idea. But as far as I know, everybody loves her music. So, um, and you know, we have Taylor Swift as books, Amy Lorraine Long, the author, incredible author, Amy Lorraine Long. She does Taylor Swift as books, where she pairs a book cover with a Taylor Swift photo. And it's a work of art. It's not that she just pairs them. It's an actual work of art. So... Oh, yeah, I follow that account. Yes, she's amazing. And I would just encourage everyone to support that account. And if you get a book cover done by her, don't just drop off. You know, continue to support her, like like the photos, because Instagram's all about the algor- algorithm. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotta love it. Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really funny. My niece actually got really jealous of that, and now every time Malton House comes out with a book, she's like, I could do it better, and then she finds another Taylor Swift 
picture. <laughs> That's hilarious. Maybe she should intern with Amy. I don't know. <laughs> I would say she's 22 years old, and she's like, I can make this part of my job. I want to add this to my resume. And I was like, being a psychiatrist, this isn't going to help you. <laughs> Probably not, but you never know. <laughs> hey, maybe you'll get a really obsessed client. Who knows? Exactly. But yeah, I will say the one controversy with Taylor Swift right now, but I do like the fact that you said that she really is doing very good in a man's world. Like Mm -hmm. she's really holding herself with dignity. She is the number one climate uh, ish criminal, what they're calling her is because she uses her private jet more than anyone else does. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, but it's more of a joke that everybody's making. I don't think anyone gives a fuck. Right. Well, there's always got to be something. Nobody is perfect. I mean, maybe some people are giving a fuck, but they really need to get a life. (laughs) Okay. Overrated or underrated? Getting a band tattoo. Oh, Jesus. So I can tell you from experience, those are definitely overrated because I got quite a few band tattoos um, when I was much, much younger and totally regretted them and had them covered up, so... You know, and that's the thing, like, there's some solid music that you're going to love throughout your life, but, and this is what I tell my son, is, he just turned 18, is, do not rush out there and get a tattoo that you might hate when you get older, Um, because you might love whatever it is at the moment, but, you know, there's a rule, don't get people's names that aren't your children tattooed on you, this includes artists. I'd like to give that as a shout-out to my 22-year-old niece who just ran out and got a Coldplay tattoo. Well, she's going to cover that up. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, I guarantee it. Oh, I I was going to say, like, even, I was like, I don't even think they're that popular anymore. Like, I think you're catching them on the decline. Oh, yeah, I haven't heard heard about them in years, so I don't know. One of those fun ones. To each each their own. (laughs) I mean, I have tattoos, but not band ones. Yeah, you are a smart person. Ooh, what band tattoos did you have? Do you want to tell us? I had um, the Sisters of Mercy logo. Um, if you're familiar with the Sisters of Mercy, they're a very, mm-hmm. they're a much, they're a long-standing. I don't want to say old. They're a long-standing dark goth band, and goth. It was more new age at the time, um, and I still love them, but I don't want their logo on me. Um, I got a Cure tattoo. The Cure, you know, obviously. The, and another band I still love. I I love Robert Smith. I love the Cure, but again, I don't want them. I don't want them on me. Um, you don't want to be a walking advertisement. No, but back then I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one. Overrated or underrated? Crowd surfing. Oh, I you know. That could go either way because I feel like now I would never do it. I would be scared that I would get dropped and like break my back because I really I don't really trust the crowds now. But back back when I did some crowd surfing and some mosh pits, and it was very actually it was very this sounds crazy. It was very supportive. <laughs> People were legit about it. Like they were not going to drop you. They were not mm-hmm. going to do it. That was a big big faux pas so you know maybe nowadays it's a bit overrated um but back then uh in the 90s um it was a thing and and it was great it was a great high for sure um so yeah that could go either way 
See, I dig that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I ever had the fear of falling. I've only done it once. But, yeah, it never even occurred to me that I could fall. That's how you know it was, like, spur of the moment. Right. Thing. Yep. <laughs> That's the last like, I'm just going for it. Going for it. I made it. it. <laughs> the only thing I know is I lost my cell phone. <laughs> Yeah. See, that's the other issue is you might you might lose your wallet or something. Yeah. Certain shit you just don't think of at all. But hey, right. I didn't fall, so that's good. Exactly. <laughs> and I did get my cell phone. It was just after the show. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> it was a muddy show, though, I could tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what's the best concert you've been to? I know this is a hard one. Oh, Oh, I'm gonna. I haven't thought about this, um, and I haven't been to a concert in a very long time. But, ooh, you know, there's there's two that are really tying it. Um, the first one was my very first concert I went to, which was uh, Lollapalooza. I believe it was the second one, and was it the Chicago one or the one in Detroit. I mean, Denver. It was the one in Denver. Um, it was supposed to be a birthday present from my sister for my 16th birthday, but she failed to, to secure tickets. But she didn't tell me that till we had driven all the way up to Denver because we lived in Colorado Springs. And she said, but don't worry, I'm going to buy some off a scalper. Well, <laughs> we couldn't find a scalper. Or maybe we didn't know what we were supposed to be looking for. We were very inexperienced. And she's five years older than me. So she was 21, I was 16. But this was at Fiddler's Green, and somebody had cut a hole in the fence, the chain link fence, and we saw that. And we saw people sneaking in, so we immediately followed suit. So we snuck into Lollapalooza. I swear to God, I'm not making this up, right? And the bands, if I remember, were Ministry, um, Ice Cube, Soundgarden, L7, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I'm sorry, I, I'm not a fan. Um, but they were they were huge back then, but I cannot stand. And I, I might be leaving um, some other bands out, but it was just, it was amazing. Um, and as a first concert, like an all-day concert, it couldn't have been a better, you know, birthday present. So that was just amazing, and I'll never forget it. Um, birthday present that didn't cost any money exactly and uh, yeah um i'd sneak into that concert i'm with you yes and everything that happened at that concert stays at that concert because i was 16 and we did some things that i could not tell my dad at that point so that's the music festival rule what happened at the music (laughs) festival stays at the music festival i i believe so yes um and the other one was uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds when they rolled through. I want to say this was probably about five years ago. Um, and it was just, it was incredible. Everybody talks about their shows and I was like, eh, whatever. No, <laughs> he is such a charming person. He's so charming. And he just loves the audience. He adores his fans. And you can feel that energy. And it wasn't so... I mean, it was a beautiful concert. He's a beautiful musician. I mean, everybody there was just amazing. But I think it's his love of his fans. It's that energy. And I think if you ask a lot of people about what, what's your favorite concert, they're, I think people might be talking more about the energy. Oh, definitely. You it's know. the feeling you have more it's than the like how the show is. Well, I think the show actually very much depends on the feeling. Because yes. I've actually seen bands walk out because they didn't get enough of a feeling. 
Yeah, and and it's about the other people you're there with. Like, okay, a close tie would be the when I saw the gorillas, and this was a long time ago, and I don't remember. I was going to say that it had to be a while ago. It was. It was super. But I just remember same thing. The people there were amazing. I was having a blast, and again, it was that vibe. It was that feeling. So pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I dig it. I'm just like going through your book right now, trying to figure out what my favorite chapter of your book is. What's your favorite? Let's not lie. Every author has one. Oh, geez. My favorite chapter. That's a really... It's kind of like how some people say they don't have favorite children, but we all know they do. (laughs) Well, I'm kind of flipping... You're flipping through your books? I'm flipping through it. And it's funny because um, Kevin... Uh, landed me an audio deal with Blackstone Publishing to do the audio version of the book. And I auditioned, and I just spent three days in the studio recording this book. So you'd think I'd have more of an idea of... That's a pain. How's your voice holding up? I mean, obviously it sounds good, but how was it? This was a couple of weeks ago. um, And so I actually studied up on how to take care of your vocal cords um, just basically, I had to drink a lot of water, stay away from dairy, and um, which was hard because I wanted coffee, obviously. But yeah, I just I just drank a lot of water, and they were great. The engineers were very supportive. Um, it, it was it was very nerve wracking at first, but as I got more comfortable, then. I think when you first start out, it's funny because you you concentrate on messing up. And if you mess up, the recording stops. They have to rewind. It's this whole process. And so you don't want to put them out, the engineers out. So you're so focused on that. But once you get in the groove of it, it's, it's a great experience. And it, uh, I can tell you narrating this book for Blackstone, it was incredibly hard. But... The engineers all said, nobody else should have narrated this. Those really vulnerable moments, knowing you're the one reading it, is is amazing. So I'm really looking forward to the audio version coming out. Um, Are you one of those people that actually, like, really emphasize the words that you have in all caps? Or did you just kind of keep it going? (laughs) No, I... (laughs) Here's here's what... (laughs) I'm laughing because... I had such a hard time not laughing. And so they would just say, just laugh, get it out. Some Narrating some of these parts, like especially the, the ones in junior high, the Christian school, the, the total ridiculousness of that school and those people. There's one point where I'm talking about Jeremiah Ruiz, who is like the singer of the week, right? This mm-hmm. That's not his real name. But this kid would get up there like... This might be my favorite chapter. We'll just go with that. This, and I can't remember the, which chapter it is, but it he gets up there on stage at chapel, is what they called it, and just belt out these Christian songs, right? And there was this giant stained glass window behind him, and the sun would be coming in, and it was like his whole body was lit up, and it was like this ridiculously cliched, you know, heavenly moment and he's just belting out these songs like oh lord and i'm having to narrate this and i'm just dying laughing i just i had a hard time getting through that because it was so ridiculous 
Hey, the rest of us are very happy you did it. I'm laughing right now knowing that you did it. <laughs> well, if I sound funny, if anybody listens to the audio version... And They'll understand. Just know that I'm really... I probably laughed through like 10 takes and I'm just trying my best, so... So, you, would you say that's your favorite chapter? <laughs> I would say so because I really liked um, outlining the ridiculousness of that whole school. And that kind of... I mean, a lot of those chapters did, but that one specifically is one of my favorites because it just really set the scene where I'm just sitting there in this giant chapel with all these kids. And there's this like, essentially it's the voice, but for Christians at the school and they're competing, like who can sing the best, you know? And it was just, it was so ridiculous. I mean, it couldn't get any more hokey. So I hope people find it funny because it was meant to be funny. So... I think those of us who went to like Catholic school and everything will get the humor. I don't know about the rest of the world. <laughs> well, I I hopefully framed it in a in a way where if you didn't go to you don't have any kind of Christian related experience that you'll find it hilarious because it's supposed to be hilarious. It definitely yeah. I I don't know how others would take it, but me personally having like very similar experiences as like oh dear God yeah she really went through that oh, I did too. Yeah. We all knew that asshole. Yep. Oh yes. <laughs> So, would you like to read a chapter? It doesn't have to be that one. Be either any. <laughs> if I try and read that one, I might just start cracking up. Um, <clears throat> we don't mind laughter here on textual healing. <laughs> I think I'm going to read one. It's one of my favorites, um, and this is one that I wrote during my Kenyan review writing workshop, um, and. It, I was so lucky to be able to go to that. It was it was during the pandemic. It was online, which was great, which meant I didn't have to fly out, and I had a scholarship. So, mm-hmm. very lucky to to do this. And uh, it that workshop was amazing because it brought out this what I'm about to read. Um, and I think this is one of the chapters that I think is kind of the root of the whole book. So, I'll go ahead and read this one. And this one does not have a title. When the plans had been made and the airplane ticket bought. When Seattle becomes a word evoked by a higher power. When the images of a cold ocean and damp sea moss can be spun into a blanket of comfort and hope. When unknowingly becoming pregnant throws a choice in your face, you are forced to reckon. When you say goodbye to possible oceans and remember how cruel mountains can be. While looking down at the two parallel lines in a small window of a pregnancy stick and seeing an ocean within the blue. To consider an unborn child into a child born. To decide between freedom and life. The Pacific Ocean's tides impact Earth by shaping it slightly, a few inches. The rise and descent of a mother's labor impacts the dilation of her cervix leading into childbirth. Each peak and collapse of my contractions remind me of the ocean I likely will never see. An ocean ruled by ancient gods, not goddesses. But to me, each rolling wave speaks of womanhood, of motherhood. Giving of everything we have within us as the tides push, pulling back our gifts as if to say, don't give someone all of you when they take everything from you. 
They say babies can instinctively slow their heart rate and breathe underwater in what's called bradycardic response. Most babies know to hold their breath in water as if the connection between the amniotic fluid has yet to be forgotten. As if we could, if we wanted, return to our wombs and forget the world that will kill us. In Colorado, there are no oceans, no bodies of water or damp driftwood crisscrossing rocky beaches. Here, I am all mountains and dryness, scorching summer sun and sharp pine needles, the smell of wildfires, burning aspens, and the sounds of animals dying. We are miles above sea level with acrid skies and no rain no tides or salt or seaweed. But we are made of water. Perhaps one day I will return. Mother, the Latin root matra, mother, ancestress. A woman from whom a person is descended. To give up her own life, to give life, to give of life. To surrender to tides as they push and pull, give and take. I dream of oceans the color of seabeds and mermaid tails, the lull of the waves rocking me like secret lullabies. I dream of an ocean that is too distant and too cold to touch, of goddesses ruling the waters and repossessing their tides, leaving behind nothing but broken shells and heavy stones no one will be able to carry. To hear their voices still within the broken waters as if to say, slow your heart, hold your breath, and one day you will return to me. I like it. Thank you. Very good. See, your reading voice is awesome. <laughs> well, at this point, I've had a lot of practice, so. <laughs> no, I really do like that you actually chose the chapter that had to do a lot with the water thing mm-hmm. again. So I think that definitely helps give people a wave of imagination of what the book's going to be like. Yes, hopefully that so. That pun was intended, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've done a lot of puns throughout this podcast, so... <laughs> it would be, be writers if we didn't. Exactly. It's our job, I think. <laughs> if it's anyone's job, it's ours. I agree. <laughs> Keep the puns alive. Yes. That and like we own cats and shit and wear black. Like it's part of the whole identity. It's it's true. Um, my cat just woke up, Larry Lawrence, when he's bad. So if you hear mm. a meow in the back, I have no control over that. See, mine is just asleep. Her name is Starbuck, or <laughs> just I, I call him sh- call her shithead when she annoys me, but she'll respond to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, okay, before we go, and my cat's actually perking up, like, is it the end? <laughs> before we go, do you want to plug anything else? Um, yeah, a couple of things, if you don't mind. Um, I, obviously, Aura's coming, Aura's, Aura is out already. I'll be doing some readings here in Denver, um, September 3rd at Counterpath uh, here in Denver. Um, I'll be reading with Stephen Dunn. Brandon Shimoda, Sila Satterstrom, and uh, Byron Aspis. And then later on in the month, um, 
I'll have to look at the date again, September 30th, I believe, Stephen Dunn will be um, hosting and moderating me for a reading and discussion at Lighthouse Writers, and that's a Friday. Um, there might be more readings forthcoming. I might try and do an online one, but I haven't nailed anything down quite yet. Um, my first book, Ghosts Are Just Strangers Who Know How to Knock, which was published with CCM Press in 2019, uh, they are going um, out. So I am very, very lucky to have, and it's being announced today, that it's going to be republished by Agape Editions. Um, so I'm very lucky they're, they're agreeing to republish it. I'm very happy um, about Agape doing it. I feel like it's definitely in a very good home with them. And my third book's coming out with Pink Books in 2023, and that one's going to be called St. Dymphna's Playbook. And that one will be a hybrid collection um, talking about um, sexual assault and women's bodies and um, the male gaze and um, all of those lovely topics that we as women and women identified and LGBTQ communities have to face. So I'm really looking forward to that one as well because I think it's really going to be an important one um, and, and about suicide as well. So I'm looking forward to that too. Um, one last plug, my partner's first collection, um, Barely Half in an Awkward Line, is coming out with Really Serious Lit. Um, and Taylor Swift's books just swifted his book cover um it's a photography and poetry collection and it's all about class and um you know he's he's all about human rights he's a he's a social activist and works feeding feeding people that's his job and and the he's a photographer and i think people will really really love this book it's very gritty and the photographs and paired with the poems are just incredible so um, and really serious literature is an incredible, incredible indie press. So if you want to support them and pick up Jay Halsey's book, please do so. And any I like other that books. that you said his name because, yeah, there's one right after I was looking. I was like, eh, yeah, I think it's Jay. Got it. I forgot to say his name, so I wanted to make sure I did. Jay Halsey, barely half in an awkward line, really serious lit, doing m m wonderful things and really great authors. So... I'm liking the picture as we speak. That picture, he that was a photo he took um, on our recent trip to the Pacific Northwest. And it was this burned out forest edge with all these dead skeletal trees. Um, so his photography is just amazing. Um, yeah, such, such good stuff good. in there. Yeah. Anything you want to plug in Larry's life or no? <laughs> Well, Lawrence um, is a very cranky old man cat, and um, he has crank face, and he just loves to be loved, and he loves his food, and he's very simple in that way, and we love and adore him, and he is spoiled rotten, and he's an orange tabby and has way too much fur. Um, All right. Yeah. Everybody buy Hillary's stuff so she can keep spoiling Larry. <laughs> Or Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence when he's in moment. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's been really good having you on the show. You too, Mallory. Thank you so much for this opportunity and just for supporting authors. I, I really appreciate it.
not a problem. It was really fun. Thank you so much. All right, that was Hillary Lefwich. Definitely hit up her website, hillarylefwich.wordpress.com, and check out her Twitter, at Hillary Lefwich. The spelling for both will be in the show notes. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter, at PodHealing, and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. If you would like to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come every other Saturday. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.